0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study.
1: So we, this morning, are in Parshat Emor. We're going to look at the text in just a minute, but first I'm going to talk a little bit about what we're going to do. What we're going to do, we're going to nerd out. We're going to completely geek out today. So those of you who are happy about that, This is going to be a very good day. For those of you who don't like geeking out, you can just enjoy the muffins if you're here and enjoy each other's company. If you're at home, um, we'll just all be together and you can just watch people geek out who love it. Okay. So the reason we're going to geek out is because this Parsha is super, super, super. (laughs) Yes, I said it. It's really boring. It is read a lot more than on the shabbat that we read it the shabbat it is read um every time we have a holiday so this is the liturgical calendar so all of us who have studied the liturgical calendar are just like uh, right so we get a little bored so we we've talked lots of aspects of emor because we've I've taught it here for 13 years and also because Whenever we have a holiday and we're doing Torah around a holiday, we talk about Emor. So and we've done lots of different ways in today. We're going to do a completely different thing. We're going to take one little piece of Emor, one tiny little piece about the holiday of Sukkot, and we're going to use it to illustrate what we've kind of been talking about in terms of the, uh, the author of Leviticus, the priestly author, um, and the holiness school. And the complications around trying to date this material. So that's what we're going to dive into. Is, so I don't want you fretting or worrying or nit- taking too many notes about, you know, whatever the details are about what I'm going to say. If you want to get all that information down, terrific. However, what's important is that you leave here a little confused. That is really important because then I have achieved... My goal of exposing us to how difficult it is to parse and to date and to assign the sources that come together in the final redaction or even to understand what the practices were in ancient Israel. George Walken, you shouldn't think that your gifts to me go unattended to. Much of this class is the fault of George Walken, who... Who gave me, um, and he continues to give me generously his copies of biblical, biblical archaeology review. So a respected peer reviewed, you know, journal, um, about the archaeology of the land of Israel and how it pertains often to, right, the biblical text. So I was caught in an article. I've been caught in this article for a few months because it's very confusing for me too. Um, and so, but like as I was like chewing on this article for the last few weeks, um, I come to this, and these articles about Sukkot, partly from the book that I've been reading, as you know, The Sanctuary of Silence by Israel Knoll. So I'm reading Knoll, I'm reading this, and all of a sudden things like come together, which is unfortunate for y'all, in my brain, so that a shiur has been produced around kind of what all this means. So the, so the article that I was reading in BAR, um, I have... Um, I've excerpted a quote from it, but it's a really interesting piece. Obviously, if I'm chewing on it, that one about the origins, really, um, it's called the Genesis of Judaism. So the Genesis of Judaism is about when was Judaism actually practiced in the land of Israel? When were things like Shabbat, Kashrut, building Sukkot on Sukkot, when were these things not eating certain kinds of fish, not using images on anything. When was Judaism, as kind of we understand the basics of it, uh, that we have in Torah? When did it start to be observed? You're going to be shocked at both what this article says, what Knoll says and what met much of the scholarship today says about the answer to that question. You're going to be shocked. I was shocked. Because the answer is not. In the first temple period. What? <clears throat> <Wow. laughs> Thank you, Laura Diamond, for the appropriate audience response to that setup. So so we're gonna walk through it a little bit. It's like I said, it's okay to be confused. It is confusing. I don't wanna just leave you with a tangle of stuff, but I but so we'll parse it as much as you want. Um, so using the sanctuary of silence, the genesis of Judaism, and then some research into the actual holiday of Sukkot. Um, we're going to look at, at why this is so complex and so complicated. Um, and then where we wind up. Um, and I just want to correct something I said last time. Last time I said that there is a debate about an early P and a late P and that I'm a proponent of the early P argument. That was an oversimplification. I, the argument is, it, did P start early and keep going, or did P start late? There's no argument that P went on for a while, right? That there's, that there's additions to P, unless you believe the Holiness Code came first, which some scholars do. Some scholars say the Holiness Code came first, then, then P adds on to it. But uh, most people, I would say, think the other way that That like Knoll, the priestly Torah comes first, then the holiness code is added at the crisis of the 8th century. Those of us who are proponents of an early P are not suggesting P was early, H is over here, and there's nothing in between. P continues to be a dynamic thread that, that, that goes for a long time. So, I believe that that a lot of the original material of P is early. Then it gets redacted, it gets added to, it gets amended, it gets whatever until it's completely changed by the response of the Holiness Code, right? The whole um, turmoil and change within Israel and within finally the response of the priesthood to what's happening to regular Israelites. In the priestly Torah, this is not the Holiness Code. In the priestly Torah, There is no real concern with Israel. There's no real concern with Israelites. It's all about the cult. That is the only thing there is in P. P does not care about how Israelites treat each other so much, if at all. There's no folk customs. There's nothing about how the people observed the holiday. It was all about the sacrifices. How many? When were they offered? How were they to be offered? It was all about the priests fulfilling the word. This was what was important. The priests fulfilling the word of God. Therefore, the will of God, period. Not for better crops, not for rain, not for any reward, just because God said so. And just out of awe of the power of the holy, the power of the divine that is the relationship between priests and the divine they don't care about the people okay there's much scholarship to suggest that like they and actually in the first temple they, they withdraw even further the priests really withdraw into the walls of the temple and are completely unconcerned with what's happening outside the walls of the temple h brings in all of the popular worship of the people, okay. So H cares a lot about what's going on for the people because H is trying to address the needs of the people and to give them ways to bolster and to honor and to include the ways that they celebrate the holidays, right? As they as they start to try to address the reality of eight, eighth century BCE Israelite society, okay. That's where we're starting, okay. So, huh? Oh. All right, so let's look at Leviticus 23. This is Parshat Emor. Leviticus 23, we're talking about the calendar here. So Leviticus 23, 1. And Leviticus 23 is the place where scholars go, part of where they start to go to figure out what is up with how we understand how the Israelites understood holidays. All right. By Deberda and Amoshele more, something new and different. Right? God says to Moshe saying, mm-hmm. speak to the Israelite people and say to them, these are the times that you shall declare these, you know, proclaimed times that are Kodesh. These are what they are. This is H. This is H. Very important. This is not P. yamim Shabbaton. Mikra Kodesh. So, yamim. Six days shall you work. On the seventh day, Shabbat Shabbaton. This is not in P. P doesn't care about Shabbos. All P cares about about Shabbos is there's an extra offering. Zo. That's it. That's all we hear in P. This is H. Y'all... Shall work seven, six days, and on the seventh day, it is Shabbat. All y'all's work, you will not do. There is none of that in P. Here are the set times that will be called Kodesh. They will be proclaimed Kodesh, right? Um, in the first month, but our but our ba'a Asar Lachodesh the, on the 14th day of the first month, what is it? Pesach. This is nowhere in P. Uh, sorry, the, the unleavened bread is nowhere in P. Chagamatzot, nowhere in P. Only the Pesach offering. And we're not even sure the Pesach offering. I, I think now that I think about it's not P. Um, it was a popular thing. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, there shall be a Pesach at twilight to God. And on the 15th day, Chag HaMatzot, a seven-day Chag, a festival for God. Matzot Tochelu, only Matzot, only unleavened bread will you eat. We are in what month of the year? The first month of the year. Pesach is in the first month of the year. Um, Chag HaAviv, so this is the, the spring festival. It is the month of Nisan. Nisan. On the first day, it'll be a sacred occasion. No work is done. You will make fire offerings to God. So H still cares that the, that the cultic stuff be done. Right. So on the seventh day, you also have a sacred occasion and you will not do any work. Moshe speaks to. Uh, God says to Moshe, Talk to the people and tell them when you enter the land that I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest, you shall bring the first sheaf of your harvest to the priest. He shall elevate the sheaf before you for acceptance on your behalf. The priest shall elevate it on the day after the Sabbath. On the day they, that you elevate the sheaf, you shall offer as a burnt offering to, uh, to God a lamb of the first year without blemish the meal offering, the offering of fire by ple- of pleasing odor to God and the libation of wine, a quarter of a heen until that very day, until you've brought the offering of your God, you shall eat no bread or parched grain or fresh ears. It is a law for all time throughout the ages in your settlements. Notice no date when you reap your harvest. That's the date that will change depending on. Conditions, exactly right. Until that very day and from the day on which you bring the sheaf of elevation offering, the day after the Sabbath, you shall count off seven weeks. So there's no date for Shavuot. Shavuot will completely depend on your harvest. When you harvest, you bring your first sheaf, then you count. From the Shabbat, the day after the Shabbat. There's lots of rabbinic arguing about what exactly does this mean. Which Shabbat? So there's a whole argument about it. Um, you shall bring from your settlements two loaves of bread as an elevation. Each shall be made of two-tenths of a measure of choice flour, baked after leavening as first fruits to God. With the bread you shall present as a burnt offering, seven yearly lambs without blemish, one bull of the herd, and two rams, with their meal offerings and libations, an offering by fire of pleasing odor to God. Right? Reach nechoach. This is God's part of the feast. You shall... Offer a he goat as a sin offering and two yearling lambs as a sacrifice of well-being. The priest shall elevate these two lambs together with the bread of first fruits as an elevation offering before Yudhei Buffet. They shall be holy to Yudhei Buffet for the priest. This is how we feed the priesthood. On the same day, you shall hold a celebration. It shall be a sacred occasion for you. You shall not work at your occupations. This is a law for all time in your settlements throughout your ages. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap all the way to the edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am yod your God. Now we understand a little more, having looked into H, why that's here. Right? That kind of looks like it came in out of nowhere. Like, why is that here all of a sudden? Because H is super concerned with the fact that the poor are starving. So here's your festival. Here's what you're going to do. Here's the cult stuff you have to do. Do not forget when you harvest that you harvest in such a way that the folks who are suffering are given access to agricultural produce.
2: Can I just clarify? Because I'm thinking, um, about maybe rough for a second. Um, so, in terms of when this is written, it's it's like there's a the the holiness post. People They're like editing it in because you've got all the, like, the ritual stuff, the priestly stuff is there about do it this way and do it that way. And then also write in a line about like, is that happening? You think it's being written by different people, but combined or is this? So
1: some- we have P, which stands alone. We, we have standalone P. Then we have H taking from P. And adding other components, sometimes, sometimes not even taking P.
2: And that's, I think what I'm getting confused at is thinking about H and P and then thinking about, well, is this Leviticus? Is this like, which one did they write? You know, which book?
1: So in Leviticus, we have two sources. We have P and we have H. The second half of Leviticus is H. This is H. This is H.
3: Hmm? <laughs> Four, five, are
0: five written sources. P H.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, so H is another source. Yes. And there's lots of ways to do it so that there's seven or eight sources. Did these same sources carry through all the books, or is it, or is it just Leviticus that? Funny you should ask. <laughs> Here is a visual. Ooh. All right. Do everyone see this? This? this (laughs) Beautiful.
3: All right. (laughs) We're
1: only concerned, and in this case, with Genesis through numbers. Why? Because D is its own source. So it doesn't matter. D doesn't have anything to do with the rest of it. All right. So, no, there's no H. Right? So P is not broken up here into H and P. So... So <laughs> poor David trying to do his job and getting chased out. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let let me explain the chart. Let me explain the chart. So hopefully it's a little self-explanatory. So you have J, which is your red source. E is your green source. P is the blue. R is your final redactor. The final person to answer part. This is why it's part of your question, too. Is there's somebody who Edits the entire thing. Late. We're going to see how late some of this might be.
0: Can you can you add the timeline? Because obviously the H and the P are not working simultaneously. They're working one after the other. So what's the sequence here? I guess that.
1: So if you chop the big blue thing of Leviticus in half, half of it would be later. P is earlier than
0: H. If you buy
1: Knoll's argument.
0: So who's the oldest? The oldest are, are these guys, right?
1: Um, the oldest are J and E. J and E are combined. P e edits J and E. So look at your Genesis to Exodus. Do you see that part of the chart? Notice there's a lot of red, a lot of green, and intermittent all the way through Genesis and Exodus. What are there? Blue stripes. The blue stripes is P, Editing the JE material. So every time a JE story ends with a genealogy, that's P, right? So Judah and Tamar, that story ends with Tamar giving birth to twins and parrots begets blah, 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 begets blah, 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 and finally begets David, right? That is P putting P's gloss on. So P is an early redactor. He is not only its own source, it's also an early redactor of the JE material. There's a priestly agenda with the JE material. J, most likely a Southern source, E, concerned with what's going on in the North. Those are brought together probably around the time of the founding of the United Kingdom, because you have to bring those stories together for a national story. Then P has an agenda about editing those Materials okay. Already, I see hands. What's happening?
0: Sorry, all right. Hang
1: on, H is half of P. Look at the blue Leviticus, split that in half. The later half of that blue is H, it's not on the chart. But if Leviticus goes from chapter one to chapter whatever, chapter 20 something, chapter 19 of Leviticus starts H, right? So down the middle right down the middle of that blue chunk is where H begins
3: and if you didn't know about H you'd think the priestly p- priest did everything
1: correct correct you would think Leviticus was only P right and and it's not not true it, it is a priestly school that's writing all of Leviticus but what we know now or what some of us accept is and it's largely accepted is that there's two different priestly schools because you can look at their theology and see that p doesn't care at all about anything outside the cult nothing
0: sorry, it's like sorry. Are, are p and h simultaneous is-
1: no they're not
0: simultaneous so you're telling me because i just got a. You just ruined the priests <laughs> for <just a> <laughs> Because I always thought that they had social conscience uh-huh. and that they're just these kind of nuclear scientists working inside the 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 you know the the power plant.
1: That's what they, they are. Care less. That's what they are.
0: And H is but are it H priestly or
1: H are priests who get it that the world is falling apart out uh, there. Okay. And they have to respond. That they, they, they they are listening to the Critics who are the prophets, the prophets come after P H is responding. If you buy my argument that I, uh, that I base on people, whatever, then, then H is, is responding to the prophets as priests, and they bring in a lot of the popular non-cultic practices around the holidays as part of their Torah.
0: What's new to me in this uh, chart is the big role of the redactor in numbers. Mm -hmm. I always thought redactor meant they cut and paste. Right. But the implication, what I'm seeing there, is that they actually created a lot of material. Correct. Meaning some group of people, presumably, actually didn't just cut and paste. They created new stuff.
1: Yes, and often there's a hunt for where did they get it, right? There are chunks of that redactor that were like, huh, where did that come from? You know, that came from some source that we've lost because they probably weren't writing a whole bunch of it, but they were taking other sources and adding it in. So, the, But what are their sources? And many of them we have lost. It seems to me that a lot of this intrusion or addition Additional material is seeking balance between the people and the, the theory. For H, yes. That's what I mean. For H, yes. yes. That's the agenda. And so it's added when he feels perhaps that there was too much emphasis on, on the ritual and not enough emphasis on what was happening in the culture. Correct. So that's what they're responding to. Correct. They are balancing out
3: and, and doing a combination of both and. Okay, so it seems like there's a whole lot of reconciling going on. You said that the J rep What did I do? From the north, the what? J is from the south. South, and and the E is from the north. Correct. So we've got a, a, a physical situation going on. There's conflict. It suggests, and that's like being reconciled by the P. No, to- no, 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 no. There's it's not that there's conflict.
1: They are different. There's they are different tribes. They're different cultures, are different different cultures that, who have different native stories. They have okay. different founding mythologies. So
3: still, stuff has to be reconciled to pull So
1: it, it has to be somehow yeah. put we'll to get get together, integrated. Yeah. But the seams are very clear.
3: Hmm.
1: He did not erase any of the seams. That it makes it clear that this is a different
3: story than that one. But they're still trying to address the same. Issues raised by the the early J and E. They don't really care about J and E.
1: He doesn't care about what J and E care about. J and E of God being a character, walking around, appearing in dreams, horror to pee, but you can't get rid of it. So what do you do? You make what's important about it. You put on a genealogy that proves this story that we don't care about at all results in the line that comes down to Aaron. (laughs)
2: <laughs> for
1: for the for the p author it's got to come to aaron but there is a there is a clan that is that is in tension with the aaronid clan and that's the mushite clan who everything comes down to moses so you have the aaronids and the mushites they are in tension and that's you can see that all over torah where it it lifts up Aaron and everything results in Aaron or it it's about Moshe and everything comes to Moshe. There's tension there. All right. One more. And then we're going to try to,
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I was afraid of that, but it's okay. I mean, I kind of knew we were going to geek out, so it's okay. This is probably something you've addressed in the past, but since I wasn't part of this group, um, is there any identification of these different authors? Most likely, these are schools of thought. Uh-huh. These are not authors. they're not writing. let's sit down and let's see. there's once a king named you know they are taking the popular mythology and putting it in some kind of probably oral form. It was oral, and then at some point, it gets kind of codified. like this is how we tell the story once it gets written down it gets passed on through the scribal tradition of this is how we tell that story. It would be a group effort. It, it would, would be, be a group effort. It would be like, no, no, no. He had red hair. No, he didn't. He was a brunette. Like, mm-hmm. come on. Like, And then some version of that becomes, uh, what do you call it? Dominant, you know, becomes there's set as that's how it is. But, you know, Asaph had red hair. No, Jacob was the one with red, you know, there, there's different versions of it. And then one finally gets set down. And once it's set, once it's written, now now it's really codified. It's, it becomes the canon, right? It, that's the version of the story that gets canonized, right? Um, okay.
3: I'm not sure how to ask this, but talking about the different groups that are being part of all of this, is there a group that's just the people of the of the neighborhood, so to speak, that are putting their thoughts into all of this? Or do they make up their own? Or so probably J and E are the
1: people's the people. stories, okay. but somebody decides what version is going to be see. written down. And then the people continue to tell other stories, not just these, right? We we think a lot of Isaac material was lost, right? Isaac. There's hardly anything about Isaac in Torah. We think the folks who had Isaac as their progenitor, as their mythic ancestor, that group died off hmm. and and had very little power at the time that these stories were being codified because they just didn't make it. The Isaac material didn't make it into the canon. So they'd already kind of lost influence.
3: So the neighbors sort of lost it and were lost.
1: Yes. From the Isaac neighbors the, the kind Isaac, Isaac of neighbor. fizzled and their stuff didn't make it. Yeah,
3: I know. I know. Um,
1: yeah, we feel bad. Um, okay. Okay. We good? we're good okay so we're gonna get to our oops everybody okay at home you all okay you all right all right everybody's good Whew. okay you blew their mind I don't worry about my people look at that picture of ellie and fibroid i found all oh, so sweet <laughs> okay um wh- where am i going i'm going to leviticus all right uh blah 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 where's our mm. Here, there, we were just at the edges of the field. Speak to the Israelite people thus. In the seventh month, the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe complete rest. A sacred occasion commemorated with loud blasts. This is a tradition, a folk tradition of the people. That on the seventh month, on the first day of the seventh month, kind of proclaiming it. You know, the seventh month is here. We blow A loud blast. Uh And that's, by the way, P.S., that's it. That's all that's written about that holiday. That's it, zo. That's it. Some folk tradition that the seventh month, on the first day of that month, you blow a commemorating blast. Zo. That's it. You shall not work at your occupations. God says, mark the tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement it shall be a sacred occasion for you you shall practice self denial and bring an offering of fire all right so you're supposed to bring you're supposed to bring an offering okay so this goes back to when there were lots of shrines and clearly the people brought an offering to their local shrine on the 10th day of the 7th month and they were supposed to practice self denial what the heck does that mean we don't know um, it is the day of atonement on which expiation is made on your behalf before Yud would have he, Hey, so some kind of national forgiveness day. Okay. Indeed. Any person who does not practice self-denial throughout that day shall be cut off from kin and whoever does any work throughout that day, I will cause that person to perish from among the people do no work, whatever, for it is a law for all time throughout the ages in all your settlements. It shall be Shabbat Shabbaton, a Sabbath of complete rest, and you shall practice self-denial on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening, you shall observe this, your Shabbat, right? So, kol nidre night to sundown the next day, right here. And that's it. That's it. Sacrifice. Bring a sacrifice. Exactly. Nothing about fasting. Nothing. Nothing. Seventh month. So the rabbis have to figure out what does this mean? Since we can't bring a sacrifice and we don't have a temple to make expiation on our behalf. How can we observe this? The only thing we can do is what's left. Push down your souls. They didn't have soul, but push down yourself. Uh, Okay. (laughs) What does that mean? And the rabbis decide what it means. No eating, no drinking, no anointing, no sexual relations, right? So the rabbis decide. No wearing leather, right? So they decide what the things are that means initem et nafshotechem. Now, of course, they come up with lots of proof texts about it. They're not saying they're making that up, right? God forbid. They come up with lots of proof texts about when you see initem, this verb, that that has something to do with
2: fasting. Okay. Same with the the pesach. It was Yep. Just Yep. The Pesach was just, don't, you'll have matzah for a week. Exactly. Where's
1: the whole story about Pharaoh? Oh and- yeah. Oh yeah. Exactly right. Exactly right. Okay. So we could do what we're going to do with lots of the holidays. Sukkot's just pretty clear or it jumped out at me or whatever, but we could do it with Pesach. The same thing I'm going to do with Sukkot, we could do with Pesach. Like, where's the whole Pharaoh? there? <laughs> like, what? excuse me. Like, what, <laughs> what happened? All right. All right. So here we, here we go. Here's what we're going to be looking at. Say to the Israelite people. On the 15th day of this seventh month, there shall be Chag HaSukot, the Feast of Booths, to to last seven days. Okay, what does that mean? What is the Feast of Booths? Well, let's see. The first day shall be a sacred occasion. You shall not work at your occupations. Okay, so first day is Yuntif. Seven days you shall bring offerings by fire to God. On the eighth day, you shall observe Yuntif. And bring an offering of fire to God. It is a solemn gathering. You shall not work at your occupations. That's it. Those are the set times of God that you shall celebrate. What's missing? <laughs>
2: Decorate
1: your things. <laughs> Get a paper chain that goes around the temple at least once. That's how we did it in Duluth. So that's it. That's H.
2: That's H. I like that,
1: (laughs) Frank. Right? Hey, look, I would love Rosh Hashanah to be, oh, let's just blow a shofar. No (laughs) (laughs) worries. You don't have to write two sermons. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Right? Where does it say, and you will have a maxer that is this big that contains the following liturgy. All right. So here's my very technical sheet on this. What's up with the biblical Sukkot? (laughs) Um, because it's a little confusing. If you just look at H and you look at P, it's like feast of booth. Oh yeah. Thank you. Feast of booths. Yeah. But like, so you bring your sacrifice. Great. We get P is very concerned about that. The priestly school even H is going to be concerned about doing that. Right. And, and then you don't work. that's it. That's all that's written about the seventh month business. We have the first day of that month, the 10th day of that month and the 14th day of that month and it's not of course the beginning of the year it's the seventh month which confuses people every year when I read that in shul every year
2: this month is the beginning of Pesach does that mean that's the start of the new year correct exactly that's news
1: that's news for me
0: (laughs) news okay good why is it called I'm glad Jim huh I see called Russia the head of the year. That
1: is not biblical. That is rabbinic. Rosh Hashanah is not biblical. People's minds are getting blown. This is what I love about Torah study. All the time. All the job security. Exactly right. Blow their minds. Okay. So let's look at Exodus. So if we go in our heads, go back to the chart, right? In your mind, go back to the chart, the colored chart. And the colored chart, ta- oh, well, you just put it up there, Amy. So there's Exodus. Look at Exodus. A lot of E material, but a whole bunch of P. A whole bunch of P. So then the scholars have to figure out, well, which is P, right? Like, what's P about E, right? So that's some work to do. Um, but there's a lot of P in Exodus, so let's look at this. And the feast of the harvest of the first fruits of your work, of what you sow in the field, and the feast of in-gathering at the end of the year when you gather in the results of your work from the field. This is what we just read, if you can believe it. This is Sukkot. How does Exodus understand it? It's a harvest, right? The first fruits, there's a harvest. What's that? <laughs> that is most likely Pesach. Your first crop after the winter is the spring is is Pesach. Then the feast that they're calling it here Chag HaAsif, the festival of gathering in the results of your work all during the solar year. The results of your work of the whole year of growing. That is your final harvest the festival of ingathering? So, mm. that's it. Okay. Exodus says you have a one at that harvest, one at that harvest. These are probably very old, rooted in Canaanite pagan celebrations. It's an old source, so, so. solar calendar. You know, has a lot to do with also the lunar calendar. But yeah, okay meaning they they're not separate. We tend to think of them as very separate and they weren't. They were they were rectified. They were they were understood in relationship to each other. Um but the but the months go by the moon. All right. Let's look at numbers. All right. Let's go back to our chart. Who's in numbers again? Oh yeah. Some E, a lot of P, and as pointed out by Goran over there, um a lot of R. Okay? That's who's right. That's who's involved in numbers. E, oh, I do? e and what I say? E and P, a little bit of J, but not so much. And R. All right. So let's look at what happens in numbers. On the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall observe a sacred occasion. You shall not work at your occupations. Okay. This sounds a little familiar, right? Seven days shall you observe a festival to Yudhe Buffet. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering by fire, a pleasing odor to Yudhe Buffet. Okay, pea, right, all over the place. What P is concerned about, right? Thirteen bulls of the herd, in case you were wondering. Two rams, fourteen yearling lambs, they shall be without blemish the meal offerings, blah 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 blah. And there shall be one goat for a sin offering, in addition to the regular burnt offering, its meal offering and libation.
3: So, That's
1: it. Sacrifices and not working.
0: Yes. Sorry, if there was a chart, you know, starting um with Book of Joshua and general, like would it just all be E basically from then on? If what if what happened? If, if there was let's say let's say we went past the you know, five books here. And then we started we drew these nice pictures for you know, starting with the book of Joshua and then and then That's judges e. and king. That would it would just all be pink or so whatever whatever color we choose for E, right? No, D from,
1: from Deuteronomy through like Kings two, that's all the Deuteronomic history. So that would be, that's a school that writes all of that material. So
0: they get their own color.
1: Yes.
3: Okay.
0: D
1: gets its own color and it would, yes, be the color of all of those books. Joshua judges, blah, blah, blah. Kings one. all of that is the Deuteronomic history attributed to the school of Deuteronomy
0: yeah so those those would all be d yes, yeah, and then after that it would still be d right
1: well no, then it then it would be figuring out where the sources came from and when
0: see what's what's sort of radical i mean it's what's blowing my mind is that i you know i i'd always thought okay, well. You know, it's sort of divinely inspired, but now you're saying something even weirder is that it's, they're just trying to fix, they're just trying to glue all these pieces together. And it's the friction that comes from gluing all the pieces together. That's what sort of results in some sort of something special. You know, it's not like somebody's just sitting there and, and, and having visions. Everybody's fighting with each other, trying to get their little edits in. And that, that results in something special, which is even weirder to me. Yes. Yes.
1: That's very well said. Yeah. If you could write that down, I would and send it to me, I'd appreciate it. Um that right, that is isn't that the whole principle of the Talmud? I mean that's just Jewish thinking. Mm-hmm. So the only difference is in the Talmud they argue outright. Yeah. I think what David is saying is what's fascinating to learn about this is that they're arguing but they don't say they're arguing. They're arguing but they pretend this is one unit literary unit and the redactor makes it so but leaves the seams of the arguments in place so
3: is this is baby judaism i mean this is the beginning of a way of thinking by having to do this sort of
1: yeah yes but i but i do think there's a difference between the rabbis who are ready to own that they disagree with the redactor who's trying to put it all together in a way that makes at least some sense that the quilt isn't ugly, the pattern becomes beautiful. So a quick question. When did the documentary hypothesis, when was it created? So it's in Germany. um, I want to say early 1800s, late 1700s, early 1800s, Wellhausen, all those people start noticing enough of these differences to start pulling out threads, you know, of these don't sound the same. They talk very different. Their agenda is very different. And they start to really look critically um, at those sources. All right. So so notice n- nothing. Do you see anything about Sukkot here? Building Sukkot. Do you see anything about the four species? Anything? Not in Exodus? Not in, what did I just read? Not in Exodus? Not in Numbers? What did we read in Leviticus? Did we read anything about building booths in Leviticus? Just saying. But what do we all assume? That it's there. Look at Ezra. Okay. And I wrote them down because I knew somebody would ask. Ezra is 440 to 300, somewhere in there. We can't exactly date some of these things because they didn't have, you know, TV to tell us, oh, look, it happened on that day. Ezra is somewhere between 440 and 300. Okay. That's what we're looking at now. Then they celebrated the Festival of Tabernacles, as it is written, so Chag HaSukot, with its daily burnt offerings in the proper quantities on each day as prescribed for it.
3: There you go.
1: <laughs> this is Ezra, so we're talking about possibly as late as 300 BCE. Do you understand how late that is? What does Ezra say about this festival? Remember, Ezra and Nehemiah? Bring the Jews back from exile. They are building the community that came back from the Babylonian exile. What does Ezra the priest know about Chag Sukkot? They celebrated the festival with its daily burnt offerings in the proper quantities. He pee. Ezra knows pee. Does Ezra say anything about building Sukkot? No. Look, let's look at numbers. You shall offer, Right. To God at these stated times, in addition to your votive and free will offerings, the opera. Why did I put this here? Not sure. All right. So one Kings. So this is about Solomon putting the celebration of the uh, consecration of his temple. What do you call that when you celebrate the temple opening? Huh?
0: Founding? I don't know. Yeah. No. Um, fundraising, right?
1: The dedication of uh, the dedication of the first temple built by Solomon. He puts it at the seventh month at this time, at this festival. They gathered before the king, right, Solomon, at the feast in the month of Etanim, which is what it was called then in the seventh month. That's it. All right. Then we get a bunch of sacrifices from two chronicles about this same event. Trumpets, blah, blah, blah offerings blah 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 the bronze altar meal offerings fat offerings a feast for seven days on the eighth day they held a solemn gathering they observed the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days anything about sukkot nope looks like ezekiel when's ezekiel i wrote it down for you ezekiel 592 to 570 bce So too, during the festival of the seventh month for seven days from the 15th day on, you shall provide the same sin offerings, burnt offerings, meal offerings, and oil. So in the 500s BCE, does Ezekiel know anything? The prophet know anything about? Nope. The only thing we get is this business in, in in, right now, Leviticus. This is the only place we get it. And what do we get? Mark on the 15th day of the seventh month. When you have gathered in the yield of your land, you shall observe the festival to God for seven days, a complete rest on the first day and on the eighth day. Okay, we've heard that seven million times. Oh, here's something. On the first day, you shall take the product of Hadar trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before God seven days. You shall observe it as a festival of God for seven days, blah, 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 blah. What are they supposed to do? Take... Trees and rejoice. rejoice. <laughs> That's so good. Take trees, these ones, and rejoice. Huh? It doesn't mean there weren't sukkahs there. though. Exactly right. It doesn't mean there weren't. But what does it tell us? That the establishment has nothing to do with it. It is not a part of the established cultic practice bichlal at all, at all. Is that what you would assume? I didn't assume that. I assumed, well, of course. Because of the and then they it the, in, probably they were hot in the fields and they had to have these booths. And then, then it gets revalued and it gets, you know, reconstructed. Okay, that may be true that all of that's happening. It did not occur to me that the Israelites were not all together with the priests and everybody celebrating Haggah Sukkot. The priests know nothing about this and they don't care. No Sukkot. Yes, okay, but there's no Sukkot. There are no Sukkot here, even here in, in Leviticus. Take some trees, have choice. Okay, we're not sure. We're not sure, but but it gets it gets traced back to. And I didn't I didn't try to even try this with y'all the origins of Sukkot, but a Ugaritic New Year's festival. So we'll do that another time. Um, so possibly you know, So we're not sure. But possibly these booze that they, that they had during the time of harvest to keep them out of the sun, to keep the produce safe as well. Um, okay. Here's Nehemiah. When's Nehemiah? 445 to 433. On the second day, the heads of the clans of all the people and the priests and the Levites gathered to Ezra, the scribe, to study the word of the teaching. Meaning the Torah. Meaning the people did not know the Torah. The people didn't read. They did not know the Torah. They certainly didn't know much about P because that was going on in a private elite circle. The people gather with Ezra and Nehemiah because Ezra and Nehemiah have been told, "Get your people in line. Have them live under the law of their God." Well, to do that, they're going to have to know the law. So they hear the teaching. So they hear the teaching, they found written in the teaching that God had commanded Moses that the Israelites must dwell in booths during the festival of the seventh month, and that they must announce and proclaim throughout all their towns, go out to the mountains and bring leafy branches of what? Olive trees, pine trees, myrtles, and palms. Is that the list that we had in Leviticus? No, <laughs> no, it's not the list we have in Leviticus. Not even the right list. It's a different, it's a whole different thing. So what did it say in Leviticus? Go out and get these things and do what? Rejoice before the Lord. What did they do? They got a whole bunch of other stuff that's not in Leviticus. And what did they do with it? They made booths out of it. So there is clearly, clearly not an understanding at Nehemiah about what the heck is going on. Nehemiah thinks they're supposed, these people think they're supposed to go get this stuff and make booths out of it. That's not even how we practice. We don't understand it that way, right? We don't do it that way. And where did they make the booths? In the courtyards of the house of God, in the square of the water gate, and in the square of the Ephraim gate, The whole community that returned from the captivity made booths and dwelt in the booths. The Israelites, here we go, people, listen up, had not done so from the days of Joshua, son of Nun. The people had not done so since the conquest. And do you think they had it? Do you think they were in touch with the people from the conquest? They're making an assumption that it happened at the conquest. They don't have telegrams from people from the conquest going by the way we made
0: booths
1: (laughs) wait they don't know that they're making an assumption because it's somewhere so it must have been at some point no indication that that was part of Sukkot, and there was very great rejoicing he read from the scroll of the teaching each day from the first day to last they celebrated the festival seven days and of course a solemn gathering on the eighth right um all right we get a source from d nothing about booths. All right, now here's what's going to blow your mind. Here's what's going to blow your mind. The Levites and the priests. Now this is Nehemiah. How late is Nehemiah? Four hundreds, fifth century B.C.E. Fifth century B.C.E. The Levites and the priests were listed by heads of clans in the days of el yashiv Yoada, Yohanan, and Yadwa, down to the reign of Darius the Persian. What does this tell you? This tells you Nehemiah is written after Darius the Persian. That is very late. It is very late. So um Dr. Elizabeth Freed says, it must be concluded that the customs of the holiday were not set and that the Torah itself was not set, even by the time of the writing of Ezra and Nehemiah. This is quite startling. Since the books of Ezra and Nehemiah is dated very late, Right. She's pointing this out. I I took from her. She points out this list, right? Therefore, it must have been finalized during the Hellenistic period, i.e., after the conquest of Alexander the Great in 330, perhaps in the early Ptolemaic period. Thus, by the end of Persian rule, the Torah was still not fixed and its sources still not combined. Right? Right? All right. Um, let's look at this, uh, a piece from this article that I'll, I'll wrap it up quickly. I know we're at time. Throughout the third century, Judea, and I, this was complete new learning for me, really. I, I mean, I'm sure I heard some of it in rabbinical school, but like, whatever. Throughout the third century, Judea was under the control of the Ptolemies, a Macedonian dynasty founded by Ptolemy I. Who had served under Alexander the Great and who seized Egypt following the death of the famed Hellenistic conqueror in 323. So Alexander has Egypt and the area, right? Then Ptolemy I takes it after Alexander's death. Ptolemy's son and successor, Ptolemy II Philadelphus, is known to have instituted significant legal reforms around the year 275 BCE. Separate courts were established for different ethnic groups, with certain courts set up to hear cases of Greek-speaking parties and others for native Egyptians, each according to their own laws. The Judeans living under Ptolemaic rule would also have required a set of laws under which they were to be governed. It may have been precisely these reforms that played a significant role in recharacterizing the Pentateuch as the normatively binding prescriptive law of the Judeans. If this is correct, we may speculate that Judaism itself might have been born out of the Ptolemaic court reforms of the early third century. Boom. <laughs> Double boom. And, and I'm not going to go into it, but this other scholar, you can look at it on your sheet, says it might have been as late as the Hasmonean dynasty after Ptolemy, that the Hasmoneans needed some way to rule. They now took, remember they, Hanukkah? They take control. They now have sovereignty in the land of Israel. They need a declaration of independence. They need a constitution. So they turn to the Pentateuch to be their new founding set of laws for the new independent state. Okay. So why do we date our calendar the way we do? Five thousand from creation. Oh, from Greece.
2: From creation. Oh,
1: creation! So the rabbis look at the Torah, and if there's this many generations, a generation is this many years. They guesstimate something that's really wrong. (laughs) What thing is silly?
2: The whole thing.
1: What whole thing? Oh my God! I'm I'm going to move out of the way because lightning is coming from the sky right now. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's logical in that um you know it it fe- it's survival it's it's about survival it's not about following god it's not about following
3: um the priest or the culture it's like how do we survive so it's kind of ex- interesting and exciting to me
2: <laughs> <laughs> i yeah i agree
1: <laughs> but yeah. i hear a but coming
2: i i think that's true, and it what it makes me think about is you sometimes think about, oh, loveviterss, they're just basing their practices on something from you know the eighteen hundreds and that's just a little bit earlier. All of these practices are just from third century b c e that's what's so silly the rabbit that it's it's a bunch of people writing stuff over centuries. And we have to parse the oh, are we doing it right? Is your is your sukkah have you know three walls? If it does, uh oh, that's not right. That we take it so seriously. It's a it's a fun game for the rabbis to read and try to guess what it might mean now, but it's just it's so recent. so. Let's be clear about what's silly.
1: <laughs> so what I hear you saying is there is an approach to taking this. Any prescription in Torah so seriously, because it is absolute truth given from the mouth of God or Sinai or whatever, or divinely inspired whatever you want to say, like when when you really do something like this she or this class, it's like well, wait <laughs> who, when, Nuh-uh. not the priest, Nah, not the pa- there's nothing about you know, and so that kind of machmir. We have to do it this way and there's no deviating from you to the right or the left. First of all, your premise is wrong that that's how it was done even, right? So that I get as kind of silliness, that I understand. The, the, The taking of what our people have chosen to save as what they're attached to and what they're ready to reconstruct for me remains an ongoing, very important, critical, central project to the Jewish people. And our job is to know enough to be able to do that for our time. And for us to say, does Sukkot still mean something? Like you've heard me complain about that. I was going to use another word, complain about this for how many years? And finally, y'all forced me to say to the programming committee meeting, how about we just have a sukkabash We just have a party because y'all heard me complain about it for how long about wanting to reconstruct Sukkot, not just ignore it because we're all tired of going to shul. So how do we reconstruct it? And we did. And you know what? 300 people came last year. 300 people came to our first Sukkabash because we were right. People do want a party. We just never gave them one. We said, come do this, come do that, come dip that, which is fine. But is that really what people want after the drama of the high holidays? No, what they wanted was exactly what they had in ancient times: a big party. Grab that stuff and rejoice before the Lord. And that is what we did. That is to me the opposite of silly. That is the point, is to figure out how do we, as a community of intention, lean into the roots of stuff that worked for our people in the past and bring it forward. And what doesn't work? fine. Let it you know go by the wayside. Let it get edited out, if you will. But that continuity is something that gives my life great shape and meaning, that I am in the stream of folks who have been doing this. We all are. I don't mean me as a rabbi. I mean, me as a human, as a Jew, that, that we have been doing this for thousands of years. And if we can be honest about that, and say, it's always been reconstructed. We are simply doing the same thing we have always done, which is how we survived and kept the whole thing vibrant and meaningful. And uh, what's the point if it's not, right? That If I'm a part of that project, sign me up. What's more important than that?
0: Sorry, no. I mean, I think it was last week that there was this big discussion about, or maybe two weeks ago, about, about chosenness and the sort of and it seemed at the time sort of passive like you were chosen with this interpretation it's like we sort of chose ourselves and worked really hard at choosing ourselves, uh, yeah, you know it's not yeah
1: it's, it's a different it's- and and it took a lot of I don't, there was a lot of infighting and a lot of tensions and a lot of whatever. I think h is critical, i don't really care about observance of a lot of stuff without h s perspective. Like my observance of Yom Kippur should make me somebody who then does something out in the world for the people who don't have enough to eat. It shouldn't just be a fast. Isaiah's right. You know, who cares our fasting? Uh, You know, who cares unless it really does help make me the kind of person who's going to do a little more this year to address the stuff that I can impact. I can't impact everything, obviously, but the things I can. And that's the point of these observances, right? Is to figure out how to bring us together, how to bring us in touch with that which is bigger than us and what that demands of us. If we take holiness seriously as now having an ethical and moral component, which post H, we all should, I think, then, then, then that's an, important, that's the most important project. What else should we be about as the Jews? Bagels? <laughs> that's number two <laughs> that's number two <laughs> why not lisa's cup lisa's muffins all right so um so anyway so thank you for um your patience and uh and sitting uh through uh, through what i know was a difficult shior but what i want you to really take from it again is not uh, remembering the dates and the sources or whatever you to take from it kind of what laura took from it but with a different outcome i hope um and that is that there isn't, anyone who wants to tell you this is how it was from Sinai forward is full of you know what. Mm-hmm. And he, you now have had exposure to the sources themselves that tell you that's just not true. And you're finding good. You brought us to <laughs> date. <laughs> well, thank you, Sarah. That is a huge compliment and is the point of, of everything we're doing here. Thank you. All right, Daphna, you want to say something? And then we're going to make a mishabira. Unmute, unmute. unmute Daphna. Okay. Okay, um, Sorry, I know it's the last like 30 seconds of the class, and I have all these big questions swirling in my mind. This was a great she or Toda Um But I'm wondering because along the lines of what the last person said about silliness, it seems like there's a big contrast between the Jews who are dogmatic and who just read everything literally and say this came from Moshe, and we've been doing this for 5,000 years, versus people who actually study the text like we just did today and see that there are inconsistencies, variations, et cetera. So how do the more dogmatic Jews handle this material? So what they would say is it it all came down on Sinai, and the piece in Leviticus about you know taking branch, well, that came down on Sinai too. It all came down at the same time. Exodus doesn't need to talk about it because it's in Leviticus. It doesn't mean Exodus doesn't know about it. It just means it didn't have to say it there. It said it in Leviticus. God doesn't need to say it three times. Of course, God says other things four times then, but whatever. Like Multiple ways to observe Sukkot. Yes. So now that we don't have a temple, we can't do all the offerings. We can't do the sacrifices. Fine. But what we can do is take our leafy boughs and and make Sukkot, that we're supposed to dwell in Sukkot, and we take our leafy boughs and do whatever. The rabbis then decide, what does that mean? Take them. The rabbis decide when you take all four of them together, and they're all touching, you have fulfilled the mitzvah. That's why we start with the pitom down, say the bracha, and then turn the pitom up. Because once the pitom's up, you fulfill the commandment of taking the species. But for example, you had like four different species listed and then in another text there were different species listed so what do they do with all of that do they say, we say, we say I next mean, time you know, Nehemiah, Nehemiah just got it wrong he had the wrong list you got it wrong or they, so they had a, 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 another tradition to on top of the original one but god forbid i mean the original is the original like that's god's word right and okay. they find lots of ways creative ways to harmonize these things but for the most part you know the the Nehemiah is not the torah It's not Doraita. I see. It's Doraita that they're going to go back to, right? Always. Doraita. It takes precedence and trumps everything else.
0: You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more
3: information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.